The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If there were not, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, so that where I am you also may be. Where I am going, you know the way. Thomas said to him, Master, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, then you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones than these because I am going to the Father. The Gospel of the Lord. But let's put a little context in this scene. So it's the fifth Sunday of Easter for us. We have been going through this Easter season. But in John's Gospel... We have to think about what's going on there for them. Just before this, Jesus would have been telling the disciples for the third time that he is going to go away. That means he's going to go and die. And so that's got to be hard. You know, this is your master. This is your Messiah. This is the one you've come to believe to be the Lord. And something in your head is like, I can't put this together. How could you be the savior of the world and you're going to go and die? So this is what they're struggling with mentally. Now, ironically or not, if we've been following the daily readings, this past week we've heard this gospel. This is the third time. We heard it on Friday. We heard it on Wednesday. And sometimes I think of that saying, the third time's a charm. So maybe today the gospel will sink in for us. But that's what's happening. Jesus has just told the disciples he's going to be betrayed by one of them, which probably does not feel very good. He's going to be leaving them soon, but he wants to leave them with these words of warmth and tenderness. That's his intention. And as we hear this, I've prepared a place for you. Well, that sounds great. Thank you. I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring you there. Awesome. Love that. You know where I'm going. I don't actually know where you're going. And there's kind of some humor here, right? Like we can laugh about this. Yeah, you do. Because if you know me, you know who I am. You know what I'm about. You know what my intention is. 
And yet we've got Thomas and Philip both asking these questions. And there's a question here that I think is the underlying question that's not really spoken, but we're all probably thinking, how do I get to heaven? How many of us have ever asked that question before? Let me ask you this. How many of us want to go to heaven? Okay, better. And so that's a great, yeah, like naturally, like I would hope that if we're here, we want to go to heaven. Otherwise, I'm kind of concerned for all of us. So how do I get to heaven? It seems like a reasonable question. It's a logical question. But are we satisfied by the answer? Are we satisfied by what Jesus gives as an answer today? Is the answer even clear? Apparently not, if they're asking these questions. So here it is. Jesus responds by pointing out that he himself is the way to reconciliation with God the Father. That's, that's what Jesus is doing here. As the Son, he is the interconnector for us to encounter God the Father. Jesus is not just a guide to salvation. He's not just like, hey, go do that stuff, you'll be fine. But he is the one who actually gives us salvation, directs us to salvation. Jesus is the way that God has provided to open the gates of heaven for us, the sinful people. And he's the only link between God and man. Because if you look throughout all of salvation history, he sent prophets, he sent other people, but he never had himself. So he's the only link between God and man, heaven and earth. Without Jesus, we don't have a way to connect to God the Father. Which is why we hear this kind of circular comment throughout the gospel. If you know me, you know the Father. It'd be like saying, if you know me, you know my mom. Or if you know my mom, you know me. And those of you that know my mom probably get me more than those who don't know my mom. And if you know me, you don't get my mom because she's just different. Which is okay because I love her. But that's the same concept. Like, and we talk about that often. Like, when you, when you meet uh, someone's parents, you're like, oh, it all makes sense now. That's this concept today. If I know Jesus, I actually know the Father. And because I know him, I've actually seen the Father. People tell me all the time I look just like my dad. And because of my facial hair, I actually do look a lot like him now. If I cut it off, I look like a child. But that's the idea. Like, Jesus is actually going to be for us this model of the Father. That's what we have to be thinking about. So, He's the fullness of truth because by coming to this world, he shows that God is faithful to his promises. How often throughout Old Testament did God say, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to send you a savior. I'm going to, I'm going to give you this. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. So therefore, Jesus is the truth because God doesn't lie. He doesn't go back on what he says. So he would send one to reconcile us to himself. And because he teaches the truth about God, he's also the life. Because from all eternity, he shares divine life with his father. Hence the idea that we teach about being the only begotten son, that he's always existed. That there's never been a time where the father has been without the son, that the son has been without the father, and that they've been without the Holy Spirit. So the Trinitarian relationship here has always existed. Now, here's the fun part, or maybe not so fun part. 
We, as humans, are free to accept this salvation or to reject it. Hooray. Either I can say, yes, God, I want you, or no, I don't. Now, Jesus provides life-giving truth and also points out the tragedy that foolish thinking and adopting the notions of the world can prove to be more desirable than God. So, what we, all, what we can probably recognize is when we identify authentically good and real truth, real goodness, real joy, real happiness, it's most likely things that are giving us life, things that are actually um, fulfilling us. And yet we also can probably identify things that in the moment appeared good or joyful or desirable or happy, but then left us empty. And we can even go further to say, I saw the sinfulness of this. I saw how this actually was not me choosing God. And that has disastrous consequences. And we can attempt, and there have been many attempts, to oversimplify the gospel, leading to this formula type of mentality that if I do this, then I get into heaven. If I follow this path and do this thing, then I get into heaven. And it becomes like a point system, or becomes like a checks and balance system, like check step one to get to step two. Don't kill people, get to heaven. Like, it's more than that. Because if, if it was that simple, Jesus would not have needed to be here. Amen? But because we have the freedom to accept salvation or reject it, we clearly need someone who will guide us towards salvation. And when we oversimplify this gospel to make it this formulaic idea of like, do step one to get to step two to equal step three, we cheapen Jesus. We cheapen God even. Well-meaning people offer assurances that all you need to be saved is to pray a certain prayer, believe certain truths. That's not enough. Our Holy Father, or our previous Holy Father, previous, previous, St. John Paul II, he uh, wrote many different encyclicals, but one in particular, Veritatis Splendor, uh, had this very point, and so this is what he says. It is urgent to rediscover and to set forth once more the authentic reality of the Christian faith, which is not simply a set of propositions to be accepted with intellectual assent. Rather, faith is a lived knowledge of Christ, a living remembrance of his commandments, and a truth to be lived out. So, let's take the genius that St. John Paul II was, and let's break that down. The faith is not just something where intellectually I say, I get it, and that's enough. It actually is a living reality that to know Jesus, to have relationship with him, makes me not just want to intellectually acknowledge commandments, but to follow them because they bring me joy. 
A word, in any event, is not truly received until it passes into action, until it is put into practice. Jesus, we call the word. Faith is a decision involving one's whole existence. So it's not just enough to say, okay, I intellectually get God. That's, that's never going to be enough. Or it's not enough to say, I feel God, or I, I experience God. Like, these are all important, but they actually have to all get meshed together. So here, John Paul II says, it is an encounter, hence mass. It is a dialogue, hence the gospels and prayer. A communion, huh? Wink, check, you get that one? Guess not. A communion of love and of life between the believer and Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So our faith has to be rediscovered. And it would be so poor of me and anyone else who knows the truth of the faith, who knows the truth of the church, to cheapen and soften this truth out of fear of hurting someone's feelings or causing someone to be uncomfortable or thinking that, oh, they're, gonna, they're not going to like that rule and therefore they're just going to leave. Jesus, so often in Scripture, emphasizes truth. He does so in a loving way, but he never pulls punches. And the most controversial point would probably be in, in John 6, when he talks about the bread of life, when he says, this will be my body and blood. And they say, I don't know. And he says it again, I don't know. And he says it a third time, doesn't change the words, doesn't change the meanings, he just sticks to it. And it says, many walked away. Jesus promises to do whatever is asked in his name that the Father may be glorified. That, that is, that's what he says in Scripture. Scripture is the word, it is truth. But we have to remember that Jesus acted in a perfect obedience to the Father and in the Father's timing so that the Father would be glorified. Jesus didn't live out his mission when he was 8 or 15 or 24. He lived out his mission at the completion of his earthly life at 33. Now, we can argue about 33 and, and those things, but the point is, it was in the Father's time. Because even then, when Mary at the wedding feast of Cana says, like, they're out of wine, he says, woman, what concern of that is mine? It's not my time to start yet. Maybe the Father's saying, well, you're going to listen to your mom. And you're starting now. Jesus doesn't offer, when we go back to this idea that he'll do whatever he asks, he doesn't offer us the, uh, the winning ticket numbers, or in light of current events, the hot tip on the horse. It's the Kentucky Derby, right? Okay. He doesn't give us that knowledge. Rather, Jesus offers believers an invitation to discipleship, an invitation to be in relationship. And his disciples would do works Jesus did. And, uh, we see that. Like, that's Acts of the Apostles. That's the first reading. Like, they went out and they did more. They did even more than what Jesus was doing. And it just continues. They'll proclaim the good news of the kingdom. They'll heal the sick. They'll raise the dead. They'll share in his suffering. And they'll do this even to the point of martyrdom. 
these disciples will give their lives, not just because of an intellectual idea, not just because it feels good, but because they've had an encounter with the living, breathing God, and they want to follow him. And so that's what we have to examine today. When we get to this time of the the season, uh, just worldly, it always seems like it's the perfect time to start doing some spring cleaning. And today in particular, it's gorgeous outside. And in a way, we have to kind of purge not just the stuff that's in our houses, not just our closets, our drawers, and all that stuff, but we need to purge things in our soul. We need to make room for this encounter with the living God to have this relationship. So I'm kind of talking a little bit about what's in my uh, bulletin article. But this is the challenge I propose to us. Take 30 minutes to an hour each day and go through a section of the home and start to examine and, and, dis- and dis- decide what here needs to go and what needs to stay. As you do each section of the home, take some time to go through a section of your soul. Like examine relationships, examine work stuff, examine your prayer life, examine all these different pieces of ourselves. Part of that can be done through taking up an examination of conscience. There's, there's so many out there. If you go to our website and you go to the sacraments section, you go to confession, like I have like five of them there. I pulled from all different sources. But you can just type in examination of conscience on the internet. There's some back there by the confessional. But that's a great tool to use to start this internal cleansing. I recognize that when my house is a mess, my life, like my internal life is a mess. And so what did I do this week? I cleaned a lot. And I cooked a lot. You can ask Ann. I made a lot of stuff. But it's because I needed that... I needed that cleanse. I needed that out of me. And like, so we do that in a physical, re, like rational way, but we also do that in a spiritual, metaphorical way that we cleanse this. Um, so examine conscience. Prepare for confession. Start a novena for a particular uh, need that's in your family. Engage in scripture, reading the daily readings. Practice hearing God's voice through, through his word, through, through that. But if we want to get to heaven, we want to follow this path, we, we want to trust that he's the way, the truth, and the life, it has to be not just intellectual or not just emotional, but this melding of the two because we've had relational encounter. And that's hard. That's difficult at times. It takes effort. It takes effort to clean the house. It takes effort to go through and do all those things. There's days we just don't want to do it. And those are the days that we lean in the most and say, today, Lord, I got to give you at least 30 minutes. If, if we don't do that, we can look at a big mess and say, I'm never going to get to this. It's funny because my mom, she'll joke, well, she wasn't joking, she was being super serious about this. As a kid, I apparently was terrible at picking up my room, which is not, it's not apparent. Like, no, I was. I was awful at picking up my room as a child. Full, full disclosure. Now I have containers for everything. I'm a super OCD organized person. And she laughs because she's like, wow, 
You know, you went from this, where I couldn't even see your floor, to <laughs> there is a container for my flour, my sugar, my oil, like everything. Kitchen in particular is where I, I get OCD. The point is this, like, we can all grow. We can all change. We all have this opportunity, this ability, because of the grace God gives us. So I challenge us, again, to follow the way, the truth, and life by doing it in two practical ways. Cleaning the house in order that we clean the soul. As we clean the house, the soul is clean. As we make space here, space is made in the soul. And what we'll discover is we have a better opportunity to come to know Jesus. Because as we know him, we know the Father. It, it makes sense. Um, so that's, that's the task at hand. Set some, time, set some time aside this week, this month, uh, to do some spring cleaning of your homes, uh, of your minds, uh, and of your souls.